Hey everybody, Stuart Anderson here with just a short introduction to episode 12 where we interview Mike Hansen, shop director, master bike fitter up at Hangar 15. We're thankful for him and their sponsorship of the team. Thankful to Mike for spending about an hour with us where he talks about his history as a bike racer, uh, his history as a bike fitter, his history as a shop owner, and kind of reveals some secrets and tips for us and the team uh, that it, they're really cool to listen to, a, a neat insight into him and his life, and especially to the shop. He also ends with some uh, advice, some very sage advice from a guy who's been in the industry for a long time. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. Uh, we're grateful for him, thankful for the partnership we have with Hanger, and uh, we'll be there this Thursday night for Kit Pickup. All right, we'll see everybody then. All right, welcome, me Dwelle listeners. Stuart Anderson here, uh, episode 12. We're so grateful and excited to have Mike Hansen on with us from Hanger 15. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. We've also got uh, Jay Cook and Spencer Chipping uh, joining us. So it's the four of us here today. Uh, really looking forward to talking to Mike and hearing everything about Hanger, uh, hearing er everything about how he fits and his um, fittings that he does inside Hanger, and, and obviously just history of Mike. Uh, everything that is him related. So can't yeah. wait. Let's do it. Hey, um, before we get started, um, any any announcements, guys? I mean, Jake, do you want to give us a few teasers for camp? Yeah, um, we've got camp coming up in about a month. So we're just, uh, I know the details on that. We shared a big, un we unloaded a bunch of details a couple weeks ago. Um, I know Stu and Chip and I are just finalizing some last minute details. So uh, updates will be coming in the, uh, I say within the next week, maybe two. We don't want to like give you guys all the information. So we kind of want to be some things uh, to be a surprise, but um, we're super excited. We've got some really good routes planned um, and we just hope everyone can, can join. So if you're not a part of the, uh, the group me, the private group me, please uh, direct message me or text me. I'm happy to send you the link. Um, I think so far we've got like 70 people. Oh boy. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> it's going to be wild, but uh, yeah, we're excited and got some good sponsors. Obviously, Hangers uh, going to be is, is a big sponsor of ours and they're going to be great. And we've got some other ones too. So we're excited. Nice. Thanks, Jake. And then um, the one of the reasons we're on with Mike today is is we'll produce and release this right before kit pickup, which is happening this week. So it'll be uh, Thursday the 4th. Super grateful for Hanger for hosting us and having us in the shop. So please join us six to eight o'clock on February 4th. And uh, we'll have all the goodies up there. So thank you, Mike. Thank you team for hosting us up there this week. So, Hey Stu. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know if you did justice to what is coming on <laughs> Thursday night. So I'm just going to put I a agree. plug in. I, the, you guys have never seen such cool sweatshirts, hats. Um, when Stu says goodies, they are just like, I wear them to work every day. They're so cool. But then Hangar 15 is also stepping in. There are t-shirts for the team members yep. from, from Hangar 15. So thanks, Mike. We're, we're working on other specials inside the store. Um, and then there's other sponsors of the team that are going to be there that are doing specials only during packet pickup. Uh, I mean, this is one for the books. Before we formally introduce Mike and get into kind of his background and history, I thought it'd be fun. People are always asking us what bikes we ride. Jake, will you go first? Just uh, your current setup. Give it to us. Current setup. Uh, I ride the the SL7. Um, 
I ride it with some NV uh, 4.5 ARs, and I'm running a 29-inch wheel on that. I run a compact setup on the front with a 11 by 30 on the back. So, you know, just all the climbing gearing you need for living in Utah. So um, that's about it. Hmm. Okay. Very, Very good. Nice. Chip? Um, I'm not going to leave it to my road bike only because I oh, um, <laughs> I really love my road bike. I I do have a an updated uh, SL6, specialized SL6. Um, love the DI2. Uh, love the new wheels from Mercury. Um, but I, I love my specialized crux for the gravel. Um, I love my new uh, S-Works mountain bike for the mountains. So um, during the snow, I prefer my fat bike. So... Chip's got the full gamut. Ease, Chip. Full quiver. I like it. God. Okay, Mike. All, all found at Hangar 15. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> nice. I ride a stock mechanical Durace 9100 Cannondale Super 6. Money. That's what I ride for the road. Uh, my fixie is a 100th, uh, 100th year anniversary DH, which stands for Bestigi Hermanos. Um, that's, and then for a mountain bike, I don't own one. I don't own a mountain bike currently. What? And Why then I have a 1957 Whoa. Uh, Schwinn uh, uh, Cruiser. Oh. Yeah. And then, and I ride that around. And I also ride from my childhood a Schwinn um, Ramhorn, 20 inch wheels, shifter in the ball breaker area, Dang. right there in the wow. middle. Wow. Um, I got quite the collection, but. No Huffy? No I Huffy. We, I feel we need that one. No on Huffy, but you know, it's on my radar is uh, Serata built Huffy. That's what Team 7-Eleven. I would love to have one of those in my museum. Dang. It's a sick bike. Why don't you have a mountain bike, Mike? Oh, I sold it with uh, COVID. It, it oh. was, I, it, I just could not, right? And so when I ride, I'm either indoors on my trainer or on my road bike because of convenience yeah. and time. And so I just don't have time. So why have a mountain bike that I ride five times a year? Yeah. So choices. Mm. Come on, boss, dude. Let's hear your setup. Well, uh, you know, for years I rode a Cannondale Evo, flipping loved it. I had SRAM Red on there, just mechanical. And I put like 40,000 miles on that beast <laughs> and it was money. And then I was getting ready to sell it. And unfortunately, the carbon stem, the post, seat <laughs> post has fused to the carbon uh frame from all the sweat they've become one to become one so i cannot get the seat out the saddle stuck is it because of the sweat though i mean the way mike explained it is the ions actually pass electrons yes electrons they pass through so that it literally has become like it's not just that it's stuck like the it's actually like become one they're fused they're fused <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah sweat pressure whatever grime so that bike sits in my museum downstairs i just look at it and wonder maybe one day i'll cut that thing out you don't uh, have to worry about your satellite slipping <laughs> yeah exactly uh no i ride the sl6 s works uh, i bought it with um durace and this is the first time i've ever had a bike with a compact which i thought would be weird you know like way to come Dude, it changed everything for me last year. Like I was crushing everywhere I went on a compact. 
30 in the back, 11.30 in the back, and Envy uh, Wheels. For a sub 50 up a little Cottonwood. Dude, I, I kind of thought like, well, if I can push this standard, I'll be fast. What an idiot. That thing yeah. crushed my life. So yeah. You got to be doing 20 hour weeks to, to, <laughs> to ride a standard, right? So that's yeah. what I ride. That's it. Nice. And a Madsen bucket bike. Bucket bike, yes. Hey, and I, I'll, I'll add too, I guess we were talking about mountain bikes and gravel. I have an open gravel bike. Oh, yeah. And then I have an S Works Epic mountain bike. So there you go. Jeez. Open makes good products. They yeah. do good. Thanks. Well, I'd love to give a little more background and history on Mike. Uh, I would either defer to Mike to do that or Chip to lead us in this discussion. They are excellent friends mm. and have known each other for many years. So maybe, Chip, you want to take that away for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been uh, working with Mike now, I would say we're approaching right, right close to 20 years that I have um, uh, worked with, with Mike, uh, used Mike on advice, bike fits, um, every single bike that I have purchased in the last 15 plus years has been through Mike. Um, he has built every one of my my bikes helped me uh with advice and so uh what i have uh appreciated is is mike uh is not just uh a fantastic mechanic and bike fitter which we'll get into in a little bit but mike also has a great history of not only the industry but racing riding himself and uh so when you when you go to mike with questions on climbing, descending, uh, mountain biking, gravel, there's not a topic that Mike is not familiar with. And so you can talk um, about different products and you can talk about weight and you can talk about um, what you want to get out of your, your bike and you can, you can provide a budget. And so, you know, I've, I've just uh, been building bikes with, with Mike for man, as, as long as I have been riding and have always appreciated that. And we want to hear um, Mike share more about his background on, on getting started. And so Mike, share with us um, you getting into cycling and the industry as a whole, um, and then pause when you start getting into, and then I decided to open up a shop. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it ends abruptly, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, for sure. So, uh, so I, I, I grew up with my, my dad and my sister, single father. Uh, and we, unfortunately, he was not very well off and we moved around quite a bit. And when we would move around, I would use my bike as transportation to go visit my old friends. And I, I kept in touch with those old friends by riding that Schwinn 20 inch Stingray. Uh, I can even remember me and Derek Pond, this old friend of mine, we, he on my, okay, so this is when, before kids would get kidnapped all the time. Uh, I think we were maybe, I think I was 10. Uh, and so I rode him. And by the way, he's full grown at 10 years old, right? He's like six foot. I rode him on the back of that from my house or from his house to my house to back. Uh, we, we had a wonderful time. Anyway, so that's where cycling started for me is transportation to see my friends. And once we settled down, uh, I found uh, this bike shop called Bicycle Fair. That's now where Guthrie's is. Well, Guthrie's is in the Pizza Hut, but they were down just half a block. But anyway, 
So I got a job. I lied about my age and I got a job as a stock boy. You could lie about your age back then because mm-hmm. no computers. Um, I got a job as a stock boy at a bicycle fair and they were super, super sweet. And I met this gentleman named Mike Card and he was a, he was the used car salesman. He'd sell you a, a used DeLorean so fast. Anyway, he got me into bicycle racing. And so I bought my first racing bike. My dad thought I was crazy. I saved up a thousand dollars. This is like, I want to say, so it was eighth grade, 1980. I bought a thousand dollar Bianchi Superleggera X1, full super record. I bought it used from Mike and I loved it. I loved it. I did my first snowbird hill climb on it. And I just fell in love with racing. But for, for me, it was more about cycling than it was racing. And then I watched Alexi Graywall win uh, road racing uh, gold medal on, in the Olympics. And I said to myself, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I'm, gonna win. I'm going for the Olympics. And so I trained from then to 1992 uh, to compete in the 1992 Olympics, which was the last year they allowed amateurs in the Olympics for the U.S. And then coincidentally, my son was born April 1992, and I realized more thing- other things are more important than racing bikes. And so I somewhat failed at Olympic trials, but I made it to Olympic trials. So there's one achievement, right? But racing for me really gave me a lot of self-confidence that I didn't have growing up in the environment that I was you know, raised. So anyway, cycling can truly, truly save the world. If everyone rode bikes, you know, what, what a better place it would be. Um, so that's in a nutshell uh, where I where psych how psych how I was introduced into cycling. Um, but that, so that's in 1992. So and those those Olympic uh, those trials was that that was in 92, Mike? Yeah, that's 92. And so the qualifications uh, for to get on the Olympic team was uh, there were two chosen uh, and then two alternates that were chosen by Chris Carmichael at the time. Mm-hmm. And the winner of national championships, they, you, you could not get denied. If you won, you're going. And that's what I had to do. I had to win. Well, I, had, I didn't train well because of my son, et cetera. No excuses. I made the choice not to train. I made the choice to stay, stay up till 4 a.m. feeding him, et cetera. <laughs> and I, I regret nothing to this day. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, Chris Carmichael is a big name when you read about you know, anything you read, Lance Armstrong, you hear, you hear, uh, Chris Carmichael. So yeah. Awesome. I just to be associated in that time and to have that. It it was a crazy time. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it was, it was crazy. The, the, the secrets, not that I knew secrets, (laughs) but the whispers and the, the, uh, the word I'm thinking of is more of rumors. You're like, what they do that. That's weird. (laughs) So but oh, uh so awesome. yeah and the doping scandals later to follow and all that just man and i remember steve johnston who ends johnson excuse me that ended up uh ceo of usa cycling he came to utah and did a talk and this is right after i started my shop and he and this is when armstrong was just pre-cancer and he's like we are going to do everything and anything at with no sacrifice to be top of the cycling world for the united states wow and he did <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he sure as hell did <laughs> yeah so crazy. 
So it's 1992, Mike, you've done, mm-hmm. you, you, you kind of are like, okay, um, is cycling my, is racing going to be the, the long-term future? Of, yeah. As you mentioned, new sun. And um, then uh, walk us through from that point into, okay, I'm, I'm going to make a career out of this with uh, my shop. For sure. Yeah. So I was uh, managing Bingham Cyclery in the Foothill location. Uh, which moved to the Key Bank building and the, or moved to 2300 East and then back to that Key Bank building. Anyway, uh, I went to Joel Bingham. I'm like, hey, Joel, uh, I really enjoy this. I want to make this a career. I think we can really make Bingham's the best bicycles, bicycle shop in the in the state. But what I want is some security. I want to, you know, hey, give me like a 401 or something. Not Don't just pay me, right? Make it worth my while. And he's all, no, I'm going to give it all to my son. And so in 95, I opened my bike shop. Take in mind, in 93, Pratt already opened Canyon Bicycles, Mm -hmm. right? So he was uh, a couple years ahead of me. And Pratt and I actually opened Canyon together, the second location, which is now what you know as Hangar 15 Olympus Hills, Mill Creek. So, And Pratt and I stayed partners for about a year. And then I bought him out uh a year and a half two years after that and we kept the name the same to share advertising expense and it was silly because the advertising expense was so small when you look back at it it's like coupon mailers and race promotion it was it probably wasn't even three thousand dollars a year i swear it was cheap uh and then in 2010 i contacted pratt i'm like hey i'm thinking to just change the name to mill creek we can't even use the same gift cards right and he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And he's like, I want to buy canyonbicycles.com from you. I'm like, okay. Da, da, da. And so we worked out a, a deal so he could buy that. And I changed it to Mill Creek Bicycles and did the expansion, if you do remember. And that, mm-hmm. yep. So, and that went, everything went very, very well. Um, but, and then I sold in December 2015 back to Mike Brett. Mm-hmm. So, and it's still going well. Yeah. And now that is at, um, seven i believe total locations for hangar he has seven total locations so i was his fourth location Mm -hmm. so now are all those in utah mike they're all in utah uh so i'm the most northern store the more the most the most southern store is spanish fork which he purchased last year year two years ago which was noble noble sports noble Bicycles, I can't remember the exact name. I live on Noble Oak, so it's getting a little weird in my brain. But yeah, man, that's awesome. So, Mike, now you're you are you're running your shop. You own your shop, and it's like um, I'm actually I am doing something I love as my hobby, but it's also my full time uh, work, and I'm providing for a family yeah. with something that I love how does it how does it change do you uh ever during those times like i can't look at another bike you know it's not even my my hobby anymore so when i when i told my dad i was going to open a a bike shop he looked at me like i was crazy almost the same look as when i bought a thousand dollar road bike in Mm -hmm. 1980 and uh he's like mike you you were so passionate about bikes you love bikes i'm like yeah he's like well when you make your passion work how is your passion not going to become just work? And I'm like, ah, oh, dad, old man, you don't know what you're talking about. So in 95, I weighed 136 pounds, still on top of my game overall. 
And uh, by 98, I weighed 176 pounds. Mm -hmm. Didn't ride a bike for three years. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and what set, oh man, the, remember Silver S Smith Casino? Uh, in Wendover. Yeah. Well, the owner was a customer of mine. He came from Bingham's to Canyon. And, uh, and in 98, when I was just way heavy, 32 ounce Diet Cokes, three times a day, nastiness, just nasty, working, uh, no joke, 12 to 18 hours a day. Mm -hmm. uh, he came in and I was wrapping his handlebars uh, while he waited and real quick. And he asked me if I preferred Michelin over Connie. And I said, Michelin at the time. And he's like, why am I even listening to you? Don't even ride. <laughs> like he stabbed me right there. Like he, that's Ouch. who he is though. Just like brutally honest, which you got to yeah. respect someone for that. Right. And I'm just like, holy crap. <laughs> and so I started riding again. Uh, and so I started my group rides and getting back into cycling. And I don't know if you guys know her, her name's Joe Garuccio. Mm. And this is one of our first group rides. And so we're riding up Emmy and we're at the switchbacks and I'm kind of pushing hard, but I'm, I'm just a melted ice cream going uphill. I, ice cream cone and Joe <laughs> Garuccio passes me. She's like a hundred pounds soaking wet. And I look at her and I'm all, you goddamn old woman. <laughs> I said a little more cursing words, but we're friends. We can talk to each other that way. And I just realized like how I'd let myself go. And so I started writing again and, uh, you know, just being a little, the competition is what I miss the most from cycling, like from racing, the competition, the camaraderie as well. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, so that, that's how it brought me back to, uh, yeah, I work at the shop. I, I have learned some balance, but it is sometimes some days you come home and you need to get on the trainer for 40 minutes and it's not happening. Yeah. So, well, Mike, one thing we've watched, which is crazy about the shops. And I mean, we're getting these stories from, I mean, everybody that goes into shops is how wild 2020 has been. Oh yeah. Um, for your industry. W would you just walk the team through and listeners through like what you've seen in the last year and like, the differences, the changes, things that are going on just in the last like nine months. Oh, for sure. Uh, 2020 was insane. So obviously we had a, uh, triple demand. Uh, we had a supply chain cutoff, right? So perfect storm for, uh, for a show. Sorry. I probably shouldn't say stuff like that. On there. <laughs> but perfect, perfect storm. Um, and so I saw on in the, human resources, human management side, I saw my employees, uh, uh, they're willing to help customers degrade because they didn't have to, because buy it or leave it because I'm going to sell it in 20 minutes. That was really frustrating for me because wow. it's like, okay, when this is over, we still want to, you know, we still want to be here. So if you're going to treat people poorly, okay, so that's what I saw on, on my side internally uh with the shop but what i saw with for the majority my customer base was so understanding and very very patient uh be, before covid 2018 for example 2019 man my my customer base you guys are great but i'm talking about that general 600 customer right man if they didn't get the color they want they, if they didn't get 
it perfect, they were upset about the smallest things. And with COVID, kind of brought everyone closer together. They'll say, okay, well, I can't get you the pink one, but I can get you the black one in a month. Are you willing to wait? Oh, thank you so much. A lot of gratitude was there. A lot of gratitude. So from that interaction to, to find a human element in a pandemic, it was really cool to witness. Of course, you get an upset customer. Everyone does. You can't please everybody. But it was really cool to see that human element of um, customer come in and be completely appreciative of the hard work that you're doing. That was really nice to see. Interesting. So, huh. Yeah. But as far as supply and demand, it, the demand's insane. Yeah. It's is, still going too. What is the current inventory right now, Mike? Our current inventory has actually increased about 25%. And we're about, we're about 60% um, lower than 2019. So uh, Mike, uh, Hangar 15's role model, or, or uh, not role model, sorry. Uh, their model is not to do a lot of flips. So Mill Creek, we, I wanted to do three and a half to four turns of inventory a year. Fortunately, Mike's model is 0.75 because he wants immediate gratification, right? So we were overstocked when COVID hit. So we had way more than other shops because most other shops practice three turns a year mm -hmm. and they couldn't get it. And so fortunately for Mike, his, his model paid huge dividends. So, mm -hmm. which was awesome for everyone because pre-COVID, Pratt and I sat down. He's like, okay, what, what shop should we close down? Who are we going to lay off? Da, 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 da. I'm, you know, that was kind of a scary conversation. Yeah. Right. And then a month later, we couldn't get enough employees. Yeah. So, hmm. uh, well, one thing that Chip um, often talks about, and he, he really is kind of the wise one here, is understanding and knowing the shop that we're working with. Um, Chip, maybe, sure. maybe you could lead us through that conversation of like your philosophy in working with, with Hank. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, for everyone listening, you've all been on the group me, uh, messages, which typically go like this. Hey, it's two weeks before Lodajan. I need a tune up. Where can I get in and out in the same day? And it's like, <laughs> come on guys it's it's two weeks before Lodija for everyone in the valley not just not just the group here communicating so I I have um uh felt like just the importance of thinking about um the mechanics especially and you know and the sales team at Hangar overall um in you know in any bike shop the importance of number one getting to know them, getting to know your mechanic who's, who's working on your build, to regularly working on your bike. They get to know you, you. When I say get to know them, I'm talking about on a first name basis, I would, I would talk to them as, as my friend. Um, getting to know the person that is selling or giving you advice on your bike, similar to how I am with, with Mike when I tell him what I would like out of the new ride what i would you know and and i always every time i walk into the shop after it's built i yell from about halfway back uh of the store it's faster right and i just yeah <laughs> have to make sure 
that uh, they did make it faster and lighter no matter what, right? I'm just kidding on that one. But, and then, so what, what I do wanna mention though is just stopping in, getting to know them, visiting, creating just a mutual respect out of uh, rider racer and mechanic and sales is important. For our listeners out there that would anticipate to walk into a shop un, unknown or, or unseen and kind of make a demand is, is challenging, especially in the times we are in with the demand right now and COVID, et cetera. Um, uh, you've heard Mike say, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to um, employ enough people just to keep up with the demand. It's, it's challenging. So, um, Mike, is, is chip off his rocker here, or is this a good, is this good advice? Great advice. Okay. <laughs> Great advice. And we can go into that if you want my perspective on it. Do it. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. So interacting with the shop uh, can be very intimidating for a new cyclist. Uh, and what I would tell that new cyclist or have you guys tell that new cyclist before they come in, if you're going to do that, <clears throat> is to tell them just to relax. We are not judging you. We, we, we don't care if you're 40 pounds overweight. I mean, look at Doug Brower. I, what, I met him, what, 2013, 40 pounds overweight. And now he's just ripping it, right? Yeah. No, we don't. We, we're, not, we're not judging you, whether you're heavy, skinny, fast, slow. We, don't, we really don't care. We just want to take care of you. And we want to listen to what your needs are. And so we can help you the best. So that would be my advice to a new cyclist coming in. Um, and I don't mean this to be sexist, but it's more prevalent with female cyclists to be more intimidated, especially if they're new, they just need to come in and just realize that we're not going to, uh, uh judge them whatsoever based on any aspect of their life. We just want to listen so we can get them the best possible product. Hmm. And Very that's cool. our policy. And that's how we train our employees. So when they come into hangar 15, they need to know that's those words have been told to our employees. You do not judge them. You do you. This is how you do it. You listen, you know, feature benefit, all that. So. Nice. And one thing, um, if, 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 if we're ready to move on, um, that we hear constantly from new members on the team, people that are in this industry, whether it's that weird Utah Facebook cycle page or whatever is, should I get fit? Who should fit me? Does fit matter? Man, my feet hurt. Ow, my back sucks. Oh, my hands are asleep. Is this normal? And it's always the same conversation over yep. and over and over. And Mike has been part of that solution, that industry, that thing. I mean, Mike has fit me on all of the bikes I've ever ridden. Yeah. Um, maybe that is this a good time to kind of transition into that uh, talk is how did that start, Mike? Like where, where did that come from where you we're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fit people. This is a need and I know how to do it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I started fitting just for myself to get faster when I was training, right? Back in 8990. Um, uh, so in 89, I read Greg LeMond's competitive book on cycling, right? And he had a fit formula and that fit formula was derived from his coach who measured all the pro cyclists uh, inseam, arm length, torso length, et cetera, and measured their bikes and reverse engineered a formula. That's how that happened. So it got me really into it. It was like, how can I get faster? How can I get faster? Um, and so 
I went from a cat four to a cat one in 18 months. And everyone thought it was because I was fitting. I'm like, well, it was training, but hmm. then everyone started, hey, fit me, fit me. I'm like, wow, people really are into this. So that's how I started fitting. It's just fitting myself, then fitting people that wanted to get faster, more comfortable, et cetera. First lesson, lesson I learned was don't fit that 50-year-old like you're 18. <laughs> um, but uh, fit is extremely important, probably more important for a new cyclist than with my method than uh, a seasoned cyclist, but important for everyone nonetheless. Uh, and if you don't get fit with me, get fit with somebody. It's a good start. Whether that's perfect or not, it's a good start. Everyone needs to be fit on a bike, uh, especially road cycling. You know, there's the margin of error is pretty, pretty small. Uh, with mountain bike, if I'm off by a couple of centimeters, you probably won't even feel it because it's so such a dynamic uh, sport, right? But road, you're a little more static. You're fixed in that position, and so it gets pretty important. And my, yeah, my, what's what's the sign of like a, of like a your the first sign of a bad fit? I mean, you've you fitted hundreds of people, so like what's thousands maybe the first thing, first sign of a bad fit. There's so many, uh, a, a bad fit, uh, is, and, and Stuart brought it up. Uh, uh, my feet go numb. Uh, my hands go numb. My back hurts. Well, those are all very, very normal symptoms or excuse me, common, but they're not normal. They're not supposed to happen. So when somebody complains about like, for example, penile numbness for, for men, most new cyclists think that's just how it is. That's a terrible <laughs> thing to deal with. Mm -hmm. And the long-term effects are when you get to my age are erectile dysfunction. Who wants that? Right. There's some serious long-term effects that you don't want to deal with. And by the way, it's preventable. You can prevent it. So there's not one uh, sign of uh, a bad fit. Um, I'd say the most common uh, is saddles too high. Most people put their saddle too high. That's the most common error. If you fit yourself, most people want that full leg extension. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So, but, uh, you get a full leg extension and you have so much power at the bottom of the pedal stroke. You all know where the bottom of the pedal stroke is, right? There's no power being given. <laughs> You're transitioning to pulling back. So, uh, so that's where everyone goes wrong. So anyway, when I don't want to get too technical. When I ride by cyclists, you got to know I'm judging you. All yeah. of it. I'm just, I can't imagine the amount of judging that Mike is doing. <laughs> I've had to deprogram my brain not to say well, as I pass a cyclist or get past these days uh, is, oh, saddle's too high, too low. You just yell long. out your window, I can help you. <laughs> no, I just focus on what I need to for myself. <laughs> Nice. Chip, I know that Mike's fit you on all your bikes. Um, how come? Why would you choose him over anybody? Yeah, as as mentioned, trust is a big thing. And here's here, let's get a little uh, bit more technical. Um, when Mike fits me, every single measurement goes into Hangar 15's computer. So when I go do a new bike build on a mountain bike or on a gravel bike, um, already the um, statistics or the data is loaded and Mike can say, okay, you ride a 56 uh, road bike. Maybe you're gonna go with a 54 on a cross bike because we should um, size down a little bit, but we're gonna extend the bars by this. So we, we start with like 
a very close, um, we're, we're pretty close on, on what size um, mountain bike, cross bike, road bike I ride because of just the time spent in there. And then on top of that, and this gets all back into building your relationship, Mike would know I, I'm um, an aggressive or whether I'm an aggressive rider or um, am I flexible, flexible enough to have um, my bars this low? Should they be higher? You know, and so now let me finish the question by saying this. I feel super comfortable after a 100 mile gravel or road or mountain bike ride on my right. fits. And I can tell you that um, once upon a long time ago, I felt all those pains that you described that are no longer. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to say the same thing before we ask Mike, I want to ask you, Mike, what makes a great fitter? But I was going to say the same thing, which is the biggest complaint that I hear is like a guy is into the sport and he, and he spends $1,500, $2,000 on a bike. And then he's like, you want me to spend what to get fit? Like that's a quarter of the, an eighth of the price of this bike. That's ridiculous. And then I say, well, what's ridiculous is the way that you complain about how your hands are numb and your feet hurt and your back hurt. Like none of that is happening for me. And so like this sport sucks if you're not fit on your bike. End of, that's my, 100%. that's my yeah. advice. Yeah. yeah. So Mike, yeah. the one question that always comes out is like, you said, if it's not you, then it's somebody else. Like, how are the fitters in Utah? Like, how do you guys cage fight? Like, how is the octagon look? Who's the best? <laughs> well, you know, I'm the best. But, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, uh, we don't cage fight. We keep to our own. Um, I'm willing to give someone a second opinion, opinion or have someone get a second opinion on my fit. It's there's not much ego involved as far as that. I just want the best product for my, for my clients. Um, so yeah, we don't cage fight really. I mean, I guess the cage fight happens on how many, uh, recommends you get on the Facebook cycling. Nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and I count those and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Can you take us through like a process of, of how it works? Like what you do when somebody comes in? Well, I, I would, I would want to simplify it to some degree, but I look at every contact point for, so your feet, so cleat placement for aft, uh, and amplitude of course, and then stance. Uh, I also look at saddle height, saddle for aft, saddle width. I look at reach bar drop bar width. I also am looking at what you don't see. I'm looking at is body composition, uh, flexibility, uh, unusual motion. Uh, I look at the uh, like sacrum, greater trochanter, et cetera. To th these are clues. Uh, one thing that where my fit supersedes everyone else in my belief is that other bike fitters, they don't look at cycling technique, nor do they know cycling technique because their cycling background is more recreational. Uh, just like swimming or golf or any, you know, sport, you have to do it technically correct. And so when I developed my system, I developed my system based on correct technique. For example, you've seen those guys that pedal on their toes. Well, that's a lot of calf, right? Well, so they're, what are they going to do? They're going to put their saddle too high to get the knee extension they need. And now they're using calf instead of quad. That's a, that's a poor choice in my opinion. And so as you guys, most of you, I fit all of you, I think, except Jake, um, 
I, I establish heel height before I measure saddle height because with the proper heel height, now I know the proper knee angle based on that flexibility. So my fit is technique based. For example, if Tiger Woods swung as fast as he does, technically incorrect, he would have never made it, right? But he's one of the best technically swung golfers ever. Um, Michael Phelps, technically correct. He is so fast because he does it right. And of course, he's strong and he trains hard. So that's that's where I apply my fit is like, let's make them, let's, if they're doing it right, they're going to be more efficient. If they're more efficient, less energy expended, less energy expended at the end of the day means more comfort. Even if my saddle's two millimeters too high or too low. That technic- doing it technically correct is where that's, that is the fulcrum point of my fittings. That's really good. Mike, do you find, do you find people coming back though, to get, to maybe tweak things after maybe 60 days or 90 days? I mean, is there maybe a threshold in there where people are like, oh, after 30 days, you're still feeling this come back and see me. Absolutely. Of course. Uh, I probably have, I don't know, let's say 5% of follow-ups that there's an issue that I did not fix. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have my, uh, I, I'll refit anyone for free after about six months within reason, right? Uh, I do more than six months if I fit you in November because you haven't been writing, right? Sure. But uh, no, absolutely. There are, there are errors. For example, let's say someone can go palms to floor on their hamstring flexibility, right? Super flexible. And so I drop the bars for more glute activation. However, I miss that they have a C6, C7 fusion and I didn't take that in mind and I'm challenging their neck too much. And so we have to raise the bars. So yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the process. That's also how I get better is refits. I, I learn more from my mistakes than I do my success, my successes. Dang, so. It's so cool to hear your mind, like processing yeah. all of that. It's, <laughs> it's so, so cool. Rad. So cool. Mike, I think a good one, an important one that maybe not everyone takes advantage of that I would call out is the shoe cleat fit. Like almost, I mean, as important as the bike fit, but I know uh, many that just grab that cleat, put it on for pretty much what feels pretty good. And that's a big deal, but Mike does cleat and shoe fits that are just as important. When that comes with the fit, does that come with the fit, Mike? Yeah, my fit is fully inclusive. The only thing that I don't do that I would like to, uh, I used to do it with Mill Creek, uh, is custom footbeds. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of tedious and it, it adds another hundred bucks onto the fitting. And so most people stayed away from it. And so it ended up not being worth the inventory. But uh, that that's the only thing I miss about my fitting. But however, that being said, uh, the footbeds that we do offer, they're 95% of that. They're pretty close. So, but that's that 5%, that really strange foot. Like I, right now we don't, we don't accommodate that. But. Mm-hmm. Dang. But, Mike, um, like you, you have been in this industry for, I mean, essentially your whole life. You've seen so mm-hmm. many people come through it. Um, like as we, as we wrap up, it's kind of become a standard here on the podcast is, if you were to give advice to people in this, in this team, whether it's bike advice, personal advice, shop advice, like, I don't care what it is. Like, what would you say to this team? Maybe Mike's top three pieces of advice for, you know, 
bike life? <laughs> oh man, that's that is a tough question, and maybe I should have read ahead and studied that one <laughs> more on than there. anything. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, uh, but top three, uh, don't. It's not about the bike. Like you guys are into the bike, you guys want the S works, you want that, and you want it lighter. I get that. And I used to be that way. And it became an obsession to get my bike as light as possible because that's going to make me faster. And it ends up to be a crutch. So as far as the elite rider, uh, whether it's upper end recreational Strava segment chaser racer, if you're, if your crutch is how light, I'm going to tell you the story real quick. If your crutch is how light your bike is, well, you're, you've put yourself at a disadvantage already because there's always somebody in that pack that can beat you no matter what, whether it's on an 18 pound bike or a 14 and a half pound bike. So focus on your happiness and your self-worth on the bike and you'll reap the benefits you sow in training, uh, whether your bike's 17 pounds or 15 pounds. Uh, so I was doing, I was doing this race and I read this in Le Mans book, the competitive book of racing and and the mind games you can play with your opponents. Um, and, uh, and so I took Lamont's advice out of the book, not directly. And so we're doing, uh, uh, um, uh, what's the, uh, okay. Stage race, uh, Evanston to, or excuse me, uh, the high you into stage race. Where oh, we high start? you into a classic. Yeah. How you in a classic. Thank you. Sorry. My brain. Uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're going up Mirror Lake and the, it's starting to get steep and, and I noticed one of my opponents drinking some water. I'm like, wow, you're going to carry all that water over this climb Threw up my big ring attacked, never saw him again. <laughs> Is it he, weak? He, <laughs> he was so worried that the weight of his water was going to make him slower that he dnf'd oh my goodness i didn't mean to do that to him that way i just tried what i read i wasn't trying to be an ass i ended up to be an ass yeah but i didn't mean to i was just like really that works people listen to you <laughs> my, my excuse got like... some tactics too though i mean he's in... <laughs> stew's famous or notorious we'll be riding with him and yeah. he'll just start whistling he'll A just whistle start whistling or sing we're, uh, i'm just like total in the pain cave and he's just yes. whistling and i'm just like that's you another one kidding. talking while everyone's suffering. Yes. How's your day? Totally and you're like, I can't even breathe. Jake, <laughs> don't, don't tell them my tactics. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I it's gotten it. me many times. Then. <laughs> don't listen to it. Focus on yourself. And that's another thing you'll see it on like uh, where someone gets dropped in the tour and, and then they find their rhythm again. And next thing you know, they're back with the field. And that's because they focused on themselves and they've found their rhythm instead of worrying about everyone else's rhythm so very cool Ooh, so good that was solid are you going to do two more pieces or is that you want to end there with that advice any other thoughts so many cyclists especially roadies and don't take offense so many roadies are so judgy you guys need to smile and wave mm -hmm. you guys need to like not you guys i don't know you guys like out there but when i'm riding my road bike and you know i give a heads up or a hey and they, they look at me like they're, you know, in the 20th stage of the tour. And I'm like, they have no idea what they don't know. Like yeah. they, right. I'm like, like, 
if they would just take it less serious, it would be nice we to have. We have a famous wave too. We like to go like this when Stu and I, everyone rides. We just like to. Perfect. Like, That's how really it should be done. At everybody, you know. What's that? It's been like five, six years. There's a commercial with someone selling boats. Everyone's waving, right? You ever go boating? Everyone waves, right? Uh-huh. That's how it should be. <laughs> Don't take it so serious. Like, enjoy it. We all share the same passion, mm-hmm. whether it's road, mountain, track, fixie, the, that, you know, that hipster downtown ripping it through downtown red lights. He shouldn't do that. But he's got a passion for the same thing I do. He just does it differently. So calm down and let's just all have fun and support each other. You know, if we get, I don't know how many, if, like I've been through it. I've lost a lot of friends through auto car, uh, auto bike, right? Mm. Let's be safe out there. Nice. There's nothing wrong with wearing lights and helmets. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was racing, this is funny. When I first started racing, uh, first, first year helmets were not required. And wow. so I did Moab stage race without a helmet. I think, no, I think I had a hairnet. doesn't matter. And then the <laughs> next year, next year they made them, they made them required. So what would we do? All the cool guys. We would strap our helmets on our handlebars right out to the, the international center to do the, the crit with our helmets on and then strap them on our handlebars to go home. It's the dumbest thing ever. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's just stay alive. Let's just like, let's be old and grumpy and tell kids to get off our grass when we're 90. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, so good. Mike. There you go. Very good. Chip, as we kind of close up, any other anything else for Mike as we wrapped up? Um, you know, we as a team want to say thanks, Mike, for the partnership between Midwelly and Hangar 15. Um, you and um, and Mike Pratt for being a part of our our team in in 2021. Uh, we, we timed this podcast, everybody, so that you could get to know Mike as we go into um, packet pickup this Thursday, and you can, you can greet Mike and, uh, knowing him ahead of time and his background. And so, you know, we, we welcome you onto our team and truly as a partnership between club and bike shops uh, to work together to help each other and and both you know all boats rise as we all work together and and so we're appreciative of that awesome and i need to i need to also say the the work that Stu and spencer has put into midole is it it, it's noticeable uh so i you know i've known my dole since i raced right uh wow, you have done, you two have done such an amazing job with the club. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. And so kudos to you guys. I have to give that to you. You guys, we're going to own that. We're getting paid the big bucks. A lot of, (laughs) (laughs) I know how that works, (laughs) but no, good job. Uh, It's, it's a pleasure. If it wasn't for you guys, I don't know that we would be interested. So thank you. And because you do it right. Thank you. you. Do it right. Yeah. Well, we love it. We love everybody on the team and, we're grateful to be partners. We don't, <clears throat> I think that's a good name for us, not a, a sponsor, but partners. So thank you, Mike. Great. Thank you. My big thanks to Mike Hansen and everybody at Hangar 15. We realized as we wrapped up that we didn't provide any information on how to contact Mike for a fit. So the best way to do it is to call Hangar 15 at the Mill Creek location, the uh, Olympus Hills, at 801 278 1500 
and everybody in the shop has his scheduling calendar. So if you want to reach Mike for a fit, you can talk to anybody, 801-278-1500 uh, to get fit. Thanks, everybody.